Hi, I'm Gary Conway. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 354 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on the show, Gary Conway is going to be joining us. He's a painter. He owns a vineyard. He was on Burke's Law. And he was the captain on Land of the Giants. Gary Conway, coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, so I hope you're going to stick around for that. He also did a a great old sci-fi movie called I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. We're going to talk about that and so much more. Stick around. Gary Conway's coming up right here on On Screen and Beyond. But we've got a lot of things going on, and uh, I apologize for not having a show the last couple of weeks. I had told you earlier that uh, I was going to try to get a show in between uh, being in Vegas on work and then going on vacation and everything, but it just didn't happen. So uh, we're going to make those up. We're still going to have 50 episodes this year, so don't worry about that. We're going to be giving you a couple of doubles here every once in a while to try to catch up on that. But we got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of uh, movies coming up. Let's get right into it. Remake Madness is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness on the live-action Beauty and the Beast remake. Emma Watson will play Belle, Downton Abbey's Dan Stevens will be the Beast, and Luke Evans of Dracula Untold will be Gaston. And the remake of 1982's The Secret of Nim is in the works at MGM. This time it will be called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. And Robert Townsend, who directed Meteor Man, has been put at the helm of the Brewster's Millions remake, which originally starred Richard Pryor back in 1985. Now, I say originally, that's not quite true, because there's been many, many, many movies made of Brewster's Millions. In fact, way back in time, you know, uh, back to, back in the early 20s and I even think the teens of the, the 1900s. So uh, that's that's a, a, a movie that's been around quite a bit. So, uh, But uh, everybody remembers the Richard Pryor one. Anyways, that's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies. Disney has given the reins to a new movie called Overnight at 42nd Street to Jared Hess, the director of Napoleon Dynamite. And the film is being called Home Alone in a Toy Story. So we'll see how that one goes. Steven Spielberg will direct It's What I Do. And will star Jennifer Lawrence, the film is a war drama. And Rita Wilson and Bill Pullman will star in Brother-in-Laws. Now, this is a comedy set for release later this year. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming away as far as sequels. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sequel City, another Avenger will pop up in Captain America 3. Hawkeye will show up in the next installment set for mid-2016. And Toy Story 4 will arrive on June 16th, 2017. And Pixar is saying it may not include Woody or Buzz. And Harrison Ford is officially set to be in Blade Runner 2. And you can look for that one in 2017. That's it for Sequel City. Next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, June 16th, The Newsroom. The complete third season with Jeff Daniels lands on Blu-ray and DVD. And May 5th, look for Masters of Sex, season two, as it arrives from Showtime. And Heart to Heart, the final season, lands on DVD on June 9th. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen or Beyond, what's coming away as far as movies on DVD? Movies on DVD, April 14th, you can look for John Lovitz voicing the lead in Bark Ranger on DVD from Lionsgate. And the animated movie follows the adventures of a dog named Barkley and two kids. And The Wedding Ringer with Kevin Hart heads to DVD and Blu-ray on April 28th. And The Cobbler with Adam Sandler and Dan Stevens arrives on May 12th. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and entertainment time. Well, David Spade will have a new show on TV called Fameless. The show will be a prank-oriented show, sort of like candid camera type thing. And Shark Tank's Mark Cuban will be on the next Sharknado TV movie, Sharknado 3. And Maggie Smith says she is ready to leave Downton Abbey after season 6. And that's it for TV and entertainment time. Next on On Screen and Beyond... It's Celebrity Birthdays. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache. And you moan and groan and woe. Don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! (laughs) Celebrity Birthdays, March 22nd. Reese Witherspoon turns 39. William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, turns 84 years old. March 23rd, look for Chaka Khan to be 62. March 24th, Jim Parsons of the Big Bang Theory turns 42. And Robert Carradine turns 61. And Kelly LeBrock turns 55. March 25th, look for Elton John to turn 68. Sarah Jessica Parker turns 50. And Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, turns 73 years old. And on March 26, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith turns 67, Diana Ross turns 72, Jennifer Grey turns 55, and James Caan turns 75. March 27th, look for Mariah Carey to turn 45, and Fergie turns 40, and Quentin Tarantino turns 52. March 28th, Lady Gaga turns 29, Reba McIntyre turns 60, and Vince Vaughn turns 45 years old. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, well, 
We have one. Penny A of Flagstaff, Arizona, turns 53 on March 27th. If you, a friend, or a relative have a birthday coming up, Share it with everybody here at On Screen and Beyond. Send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Send me their name, where they are, and how old they are, and whatever else you want. We'll get it on there and send it to me in advance so I have it in time. And we'll get that out for you for a birthday wish from everybody here at On Screen and Beyond and all our listeners. Well, speaking of listeners, we've got all kinds of them listening all over the world. We appreciate it. Uh, every week we get more and more listeners and uh, it's, it's the ratings, you know, keep bouncing as far as uh, uh, how where country has the most listeners. Of course, the United States seems to be having the, the most, you know, that's where we're from. So uh, uh, that's not unusual. Canada now has moved into second place and they were way down for a while. And uh, England is right up there. Germany is up there. And Australia, you guys, we're getting a lot of you here listening to us. Uh, China used to be the second highest, but they've moved down to about uh, eight now or something like that so uh, all these other countries a lot more people listening to on screen to be on i appreciate it very much but right now we've got a captain coming our way from land of the giants gary conway he was also on burke's law he was in i was a teenage frankenstein all sorts of stuff great actor great guy he's coming up next gary conway right here on on screen and beyond Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is an actor known for many roles, including on Burke's Law and, of course, on Land of the Giants. He now owns and runs a winery and is a painter. It's Gary Conway. Gary, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you very much. I appreciate um, being here. I'd appreciate being anywhere at this point, right? <laughs> Well, Gary, you've done a lot of different things in your acting careers, and now you've moved on to wineries. Uh, of course, you've been doing that for a while, and, and painting and everything. So I, I'd like to start out, which of these was first for you? Well, let me say this, that, that there's a uh, – it's one thing people say, <laughs> and they'll say it with acting. They don't say it in any other creative way, and they say, you are an actor, now, they don't say that if you're a painter, you were a painter or you were a poet. Somehow you were an actor that you only get to act for a certain period of your life. <clears throat> when you're an actor, you learn the art of performing. And like all arts, you get better and better, really. As a, There's no painter. I, I studied art history, UCLA, art history major. And I can't think of a single painter that didn't get better <clears throat> later. Excuse me, later in life. And um, but somehow an, an actor say, "Oh, you were an actor." I always have to remind them, "What you're an actor, you're an actor." I mean, if you want me to do this scene, I'll do it. I don't forget anything on him. Are you necessarily on the TV series that people see you? Uh, no, but you know, I just got my iPad and I realized I can download all these series all the time, so people still are connected, and I get endless emails about. Oh yeah. How they uh, so so you really. Never stop being an actor. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to be acting at this moment. I'd like to perhaps have a job tomorrow in just the perfect film uh, and be doing that. But that's uh, the, the difference between an actor and I'll get into my 
life as a painter and musician and, and writer and so on. But when you're a painter, I'm under my control. I could be talking with you here when we're finished. I get inspired and I go up to my studio and I could take out a fresh canvas and I could begin painting. But unfortunately, acting is different. I have to wait on a, in order to create on a series of people. I've got to have an agent, a lawyer, and they have to get a producer, and the producer has got to see you, and then he'll talk to the director. And maybe days, weeks, months from now, if not years, you get to do what you want to do creatively. So that's the problem of being an actor. You just don't go off... For instance, I don't pick up a script now, right now and act with myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I can paint with myself. I don't need anybody in that room. So that's a disadvantage. But you always are. Once you've learned that craft, you are. And I believe I'm a far better actor today because, I don't, again, I don't know any... Uh, we go back to Mozart. His late work was his great work. Beethoven, every mm -hmm. composer I know, and certainly every artist, their late work is is often the, uh, in fact, sometimes it can be just the last year or two of their life they're doing their great work, or they wouldn't be, be noted. So anyway, to answer that, uh, I'm all of those things, and, but as a, as a creative animal, um, it was painting that, uh, that did it. Uh, I was born in Boston, and I was very young. I think I showed a, I, I showed a, a, that I was particularly, I guess, talented, you can use that word in, in art. And in those times, the schools were more encouraging, and my parents uh, were alerted to it, and they supported me. So from that point on, I painted all my life. I always had a studio. Even my parents, when I was young, they converted the garage in the studio because they had this kid who liked to paint away. So I've been painting, yes, all my life. And, um, and, uh, and as I said, the, the good news about that is I can do it any damn time I want. Right, yeah. Is there anything in particular you, you like to paint more than others? You know, like, uh, is it scenery or, or people or... There's really, you don't think in terms of art that way. Uh, I don't, for myself, I don't think painters do. It, 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 it's hard to describe the process. I mean, I, I have my own life's process, and there's, there's nothing that you don't do. Uh, you start out with a white canvas. It's like the universe, the void. And you become very godlike and you look at that white void and you begin. Now, sometimes you can be very well prepared to begin, which means you, you previously do a lot of sketching or uh, even... Uh, I, I do a lot of actually smaller uh, works in oil and mixed media. And if I like it, uh, then I, I, I go take that as a model or motif, and then I, uh, it becomes a bigger one. Or often, and, and actually even in the small version, I'll, I will do most of my work fairly extemporaneously, so I don't think too far ahead. I I revert back to where you first started, when I was four, five, six years old, where you don't think too much about it. You just go ahead and do it, and it evolves. And so you don't you make it a process where things are really spontaneous so that you're actually also entertaining yourself at the same time mm -hmm. and that's what i think always makes um makes artists uh, uh fascinating yeah. now was that people. what you wanted to to do to go into i never thought about it i just always did it i was good at it i loved doing it and i honestly 
never found anything or saw anything in life that would probably give any human being more enjoyment to be doing and then later for people hundreds of years later uh, to, to thoroughly enjoy. I was thinking the, the great thing about a painter painting, unlike all the others, uh, like being a composer, a writer, an actor, whatever you want to do, it's you know more of a screenwriter, I guess, is more the, the initial creator. But when I paint, and if it ends up in a museum and or a gallery, and say like Van Gogh, using him, when we look at his work, we go right up to it, and we're a foot or two away of the moment, the actually amazing moment that he was taking a brush and putting that paint on that canvas. You're looking at it. There's nothing in between. There's no interpretation of that. Now, if you see it in a photograph, then there's a kind of interpretation. But when you go see it, and that's, I don't think any of the artists has that. If you're a composer, there's no looking at the notes. It has to be, you don't see the original. And the only other, I think, example would be if a writer wrote in his own hand to begin with, then you'd see the original manuscript. But there's nothing like the artist who you're, you're, you're coming right up to his moment of creation and you're with him in that you're mm-hmm. seeing the exact brushstroke and a brushstroke a brushstroke is really an amazing thing when you look at it how it is how an artist that's that's what he has that's really all he has uh, to deal with is what there's there's his hand there's this thing called a brush and there's a canvas and that's it and you get to become a part of the intimacy of that mm-hmm. And I was wondering, now you're doing the winery and you're doing your painting. Well, we say do a winery. Uh, I want to be a little more um, enlightening on that. But, but the way that, that's a process, too, if you're doing it for real. And so I started a vineyard here 30 years ago. And there's a whole long story to that, which I won't get into right now. Crash landing on this beautiful spot. Central coast of California, falling in love with this 320-acre parcel coming from L.A. That was like a buying half the, the, you know, the globe of that. Right. <laughs> and then uh, uh, getting into planting and agriculture with no vineyards in that area whatsoever. There was not even known to be. And then uh, as years went by, um, uh, I sold half my ranch to Justin, who's come well known as a winery, winery guy. He's actually sold out to... Uh, to the one of the biggest uh, agricultural corporations in California, if not the biggest, and then um, we started planting with the first ones, and and it started out really more as uh, kind of a vision of things, something that would be rather interesting, romantic, but no real common sense. And then over, the, then it, it, several years later, after you get that first crop, many years later, you, you sort of make a then it's a separate decision. I think I'll take maybe these grapes instead of selling them, and I'll make some of my own wine. And then there's a lot of years go by, and you suddenly decide, I got to have a winery, I got to have a place to make it. And that was a separate, for me, very important decision. I ended up with a straw bale winery, which is an above the ground cave. And that's to me very, very important in natural winemaking, which I have dedicated myself to. So it's a, <laughs> it is in itself as complex as if you say I'm being a composer. I mean, there's so many. Did you start out as a, a Playing an instrument, anyone from playing an instrument to 
writing down a few notes, you know, on and on. It's always usually that's the relationship wine, which is a very important creative uh, part of our culture. And it all started there. So there's if you're doing it for real. Now remember, most people wine is not it's a business, fast food really. But if you're really a, a true winemaker, which is probably only one or two or three percent of the wine that's out there, uh, it is it is a highly creative and it's a and it's a process. Hmm. Now, do you on your wine bottles? I noticed that there's a, a painting on it. Uh, did, did I do you, all of those. That's what I was reason, wondering. Yeah. <laughs> For good reason, um, as a painter, and uh, most people don't realize this, getting back to the most, most, most important thing, and and the wine industry, uh, people don't, not, they, they're not really cognizant of this. The most important thing of where does that wine come from? Does it come from an estate winery, meaning you have the grapes, you have the not you know about that, or are you just a fast food guy putting a bunch of you know, fast food wine for anywhere, chemicals and so on. And if uh, and if you're really for real as we are, then the wine is about a specific place on the vineyard. And so all those paintings, they're not just paintings sort of generally of a vineyard, but they are, if it's Merlot, it's, I painted where the Merlot is. I painted mm. the cap. And then, the, and then the colors and the clarity and all that has a lot to do with what makes this area special. That's the clarity of color means that we have very low humidity, which means we don't have to spray poisons on our, and it means that we don't have that, like in France, they have to add alcohol to it. So really the painting is the story of each of the varietals and, and, and why they're unique and exceptional. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I don't think anybody has done that. Yeah, yeah. Now, you seem very passionate about your, your, your painting and your, your winery. Uh, but so, how did you get into acting? Where where did that come along in your life? Uh, making a living has a big part. Of it now, <laughs> uh, when I getting back to painting, when I was very young and studying, and I had when I was in high school, believe it or not, four scholarships. I'd go to high school half the time, and uh, uh, the, the major schools in the United States happened to be in California. One was Otis Art, one was Chenard, and so on. So, and so I would um, I, I would attend those schools. And then, as I said, I became, when I went to UCLA, finally became an art history major. And one of the things, I was intense about art history and artists, and I love it to this day. There's no, there's, there's not, I mean, you study regular history, you're just studying, well, this war, that war, that, that uh, peace treaty, that president, that general. In art history, you go through history, the cultural history, but it's with these amazing people. And, uh, and and people who often in their time look again, look at Van Gogh, who were shunned. And people thought they were terrible artists and and really awful human beings. And they had to withstand that somehow. Then became like Gauguin, who was who was condemned by his own wife, his sister, everyone. And then he becomes one of the, one of the greatest artists of all time. And how did he have the will to do that? It became later in life. He, he took that on, like age of 36, and he gave up a prosperous career. So, so you're studying history, but you're studying these incredibly fascinating people. But in the middle of that, the people I learned to love, the artists that I was most attracted to, I did note, like Van Gogh, never sold a painting. 
and they were suffering all their life. And so, so at, by age of 15 or 16, I started thinking, you know, I'm a good artist, and I love art, and I could do it, and I could. But if I'm going to be a great artist, I'm going to suffer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, that was a mindset at 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know, it, it, there's some kind of truth to it. Although there's some artists who do not, especially some modern artists like Deepin Corn and De Kooning, who made a lot of money and they were alive. And, a lot of artists. So, but it was a childhood thing. Those artists who fascinated you, fascinated you the most, and maybe had the most influence. That was true. Were artists that I mean, really, really suffered. It's not just a little suffering. Right. Forget not even selling a painting. You know. Uh, so, in the middle of of that introspection, um, and I'm like 17 now, and 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 that decision means. Uh, perhaps go to New York, uh, continue your studies later, and, 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 and becoming becoming an artist. But I happened to get married uh, a year to right after that to a Miss America, and um, that was one thing. Then I had to go in the army just before that, and so I had this: Do I go to New York? Do I suffer and maybe never sell a painting? And then when I die, people say, boy, is he great. <laughs> or do I do this film called Teenage Frankenstein that I just got offered? Mm-hmm. So I think I'll do this uh, film called Teenage Frankenstein, play the lead in this new version of a Frankenstein. And what I'll do is I'll change my name to Conway so that when the film comes out um, at the school I was studying, you see, nobody would start kidding me and saying, oh, here comes Teenage Frankenstein. I mean, I, I definitely want to be a, a serious artist, even if I didn't. And uh, so I went through that. It was shortly after that I had to go in the Army coming out. And then I was offered a, um, in the middle of my soul searching, I was offered a, a fantastic thing at that point and was contract with Warner Brothers that was really inventing television right in that period. I mean, they had seven, eight, nine out of ten of the top shows. They're the ones that really did the original before that television shows. That before that television was a bit lame, really. And suddenly they were coming out: Maverick and Sunset mm-hmm. Strip, and Hawaii and I, and Berkeley. all these series with all these interesting, attractive people. And they and they set the stage for television to come. And so, going from and I could have already qualified as an artist, as a panelist artist, you know, at that point. Uh, and out of the army, and then you know, as I mentioned, being married, uh, uh, and getting an offer for at that time it seems ridiculous now, but what they were offered. But you know, at that point it was pretty good, and I'd go every day into a studio and I'd see all the stars of the day all in the commissary. And uh, so, I don't think Van Gogh had that. <laughs> he had to make that decision or go again. You know, and I was sorry. I said, I'm sorry, Van Gogh. Again, I can't quite follow that path. I'm going to go this other way. But maybe somehow I can keep my integrity as a painter, and maybe I will uh, be somewhat original or original as certainly they were. And I think I am. Mm-hmm. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It was funny. Last night, uh, after we talked last night, uh, I, I went online and I watched I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. Oh, you're kidding, really? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I love old sci- sci-fi movies, so that, that was uh, – I enjoyed it, really. <laughs> you, know, you, you see, what's interesting – you never know the times. I said the time was a job. You know, I was an usher at UCLA, and suddenly you're starring in this – cockamamie film, although I think one of my all-time favorite films was, was both Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm-hmm. And this was the follow-up to Teenage Dracula. It was a huge hit with Michael Landon. They decided to do yes, follow-up yeah. with that. And then right after that, they did How to Make a Monster to combine both. But the um, the what's interesting from a historical point of view, that Mask and all that we did um, started a huge culture because I was invited, actually I'm invited again to, I call it uh, Monster, it's a big monster show. And they have it here in Hollywood, thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of people come, and they come from all over the world. All these phenomenal makeup artists, and, and some of this makeup, and, and, and when you go to the event there, uh, what is it called, Monster Con, or something like that. Yeah, yeah I think monster, I know which one. Yeah. Anyway, you go there, and, and it's unbelievable that you'll see the people come in, and, with their, and, and they've transformed these people. they put new skin and faces on them. And, uh, but they all revere those, that original film like that, those big, because that was sort of the, the beginning of that. Right. And How long were you in makeup for that one? Well, that was one of the funny things at the time. I mean, you think about it in terms of the sophistication today, it wasn't much, but nonetheless, you had to stay in about three hours every right. day. You know, could you and, breathe? Uh, <laughs> huh? Could you breathe in it? Yeah, yeah. They didn't uh, choke me to death, but um, <laughs> it was. I mean, the whole. Uh, for me, it, it, first of all, even if I were not really an actor at that time in New York and all that, it would have been a weird experience, I think. And uh, but ha- not even being an actor, I thought, well, oh, it's just the way actors. But this is what they do. You know? So it was. It was uh, pretty. Uh, and, and right in that period, one or two at the same studio threw me in a couple other films that were sort of classics, like the very first Roger Corman film, which was, uh, uh, which was, <laughs> talk about a weird film, uh, the the Sea Serpent. I don't know if you know what that. Anyway, there was that was the beginnings of AIP that later on really became uh, the studio or the or the incubator for all of the independent films and so many directors and actors. I mean Nicholson, that's where he had his beginning. Right. Yeah. Most directors did. So it was in that milieu that uh, that I stepped into. You know, first of all, the Roger Corman and these people started making these monster things. What was what was unique about it, and and you have to look back now at a moment of time. What was unique is the studios then were only making films for. I mean, their target audience was a forty-year-old woman, 
because everybody was going to movies pretty much then. Mm-hmm. And the women, I think, kind of dictated, hey, let's tonight go to see. And, you know, the guy would go along. And so the studios, uh, they were making, they that's where all those great women stars came in and the men and all that. But it was a genre, you know, that was more mature in a sense. If you think about it, there was not one single teen, so-called teenage film in there. Right. And that really, I don't think, came later to, um, uh, I was trying to think maybe where that began to switch. I think it was with uh, Rebel Without a Cause. I think it was like one of the first ones became a hit. But before that, AIP was making all the teenage films. Mm-hmm. And they were making uh, a, a fortune then because there was that audience. And, um, and now it has switched so that the major studios could care less about a 40-year-old. They're targeting that 18-year-old guy. I yep. mean, there was, and if you want to make a film for a 35, 40 more mature audiences, you're an independent. Mm-hmm. And you're a guy that maybe, if you're lucky, you get your $2 million. So the, the whole the culture of that has completely reversed. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I, I was looking at the, uh, the the cast who was in the, the Teenage Frankenstein. Uh, Whit Bissell from Time Tunnel and uh, yeah, Phyllis Coates from uh, the – she played Lois Lane on Adventures of Superman. I mean, right. it, there were some some great actors in that film, actually. There were. Uh, and and uh, who'd you mention? The, the, there was also uh, – you said Whit Bissell, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Whit- and there, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they were—he was remarkable, actually, with Bissell. And and being at that point a a complete amateur. Although I must say that when I was in high school, I was I, I started a lot of stuff. So I had a I had a uh, penchant for acting. There was no question about that. But I never did really any serious stuff. So suddenly I'm I'm on the set, and and those people were impressive to me very much. So yeah. by the way, it was later when. Not that much later, when uh, I was cast to do Burke's Law, and that was Aaron Spelling's first uh, uh, series. Of course, he became the legend and was the most prolific guy on television right. ever. Right. Yeah. And but he had this, um, you know, vision of using every damn star there was in the book, as you well know, <laughs> and. Uh, and that became really fascinating because I was able to then work with endless amounts of people, get to know them. And I was still at a very young age, and so they were all still very impressive to me. And I grew up when I was very young, where Jane Russell was the most optic woman who ever lived. And then one day I walked in the set, and, you know, and it, it, every person at that point, and I'm just a tiny kid when she was out there but I mean you, I don't care how old you were you're fantasizing on this incredible creature and they walk in the set and boom there I am face to face with her mm, and then if I turn to my left there's Betty Hutton mm, I look to the right and there is uh, you know you name it went on and on yeah it's, it's amazing the people that you've worked with over the years you know, I, I, I put a list together and I I have to think there's probably another actor who has just because of that moment of time with television that that, that performed with so many, uh, you could say, you know, well-established stars of the time. I mean, the list goes on. There are hundreds. You know, if you're lucky, I think you go through a career, maybe you can do 40, 50 films, and maybe you do it with 
you know, two or three other actors. But I mean, by the time I was finished with Burke's Law, I, I performed. We had, let's see, five, let me tell you, we had five or six an episode. So that would be, uh, it was like 400 film stars at that time. Wow. That's, even, even, you even worked with Betty Davis, right? Uh, oh, yeah. That was actually funny. She didn't do Burke's Law. I worked with her in a series. And it was done by um, Lincoln Levinson, who went on and did about everything on television. And they were the original writers, or one of the original writers for Burke's Law. So all of that was linked. That con- That's the other thing. Burke's Law, the concept of the detective show where the detective is off the uh, Columbo, kept on going, Murder, She Wrote. Mm-hmm. But it all stemmed from that show, Burke's Law. Yeah, yeah. Boy. That's... So it was a groundbreaker in actually many ways. Yeah, yeah. Now, Land of the Giants. Uh... That's another, by the way, I used to always point out to people, that's another groundbreaker. And people today who are, uh, I'm anticipating, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead because I'm trying to keep a continuity here. But there's two important things about Land of the Giants people don't know. Number one, it was the most popular television show ever in the world and will still hold the record. And a lot of reasons for that. And I was shown that by... Uh, at Fox, when he uh, when the guy who's who head of marketing for like forty years and head of sales told me that, and and, and there were many good reasons for it. Um, I mean, it was way ahead of any. You could, there's not a series that that it played in every single television station in every single country in the world. <laughs> and and it's a really simple reason why it had to do with Irwin Allen. Irwin Allen ends up being a very visual guy, and. You don't ever even have to listen to the dialogue of Land of the Giants. You can just turn it off and you get the whole show. Mm-hmm. And also, it was the first really on television of special interesting effects. And we did real effects. Now, one little computer thing was involved. And people today who do the great computer effects that are mind-boggling, a couple of them have been here, and I say here at our winery, the mm-hmm. tasting room. And um, they revere that show in many ways <clears throat> because they can't figure out how we did it. <laughs> you know, once a week and having to do all the stuff ourselves. Now you just have a green screen, you film, film, film. Right, yeah. 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 And it's sort of, it's all, then you've you got about like 500 computer people putting the film together. So that must have been very physical for you because oh, climbing was, those that, ropes. Yeah. And... Oh, let me tell you, it was, uh, it was hard to explain. It was phenomenally physical. And, and the other thing is you're working... Uh, you know, you go there, you're there at like 6 in the morning, and you're in makeup, and you're hanging out, and you're never before 7.30, and you can rest assured that at 6.45, they're doing the tough shot, the climbing. And if you look at that film, those climbs, rope climbs, you don't have any, <laughs> there was no legs helping them or anything else. Those rope climbs were tough. <laughs> and, I, and there were three of us kind of macho guys, you know, Matheson, yeah. Marshall. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to be sort of the leader, right? And so, uh, <laughs> they were wonderful, wonderful guys, and we always got along fabulously well. Um, but there was, it was, I don't know whether we did it for, you know, just to keep ourselves interested in things. But it was always a little bit of a contest, you know. <laughs> so if I was the first there, I really had a hustle because they'd be right on my my butt naturally and then that wouldn't look good right yeah. <laughs> so I had a really scamper and if I was second I had to keep up and so it became this sort of game to keep things interesting but it would t- it'd be tough 
I mean, some of those climbs, uh, you could see why that's it. I mean, some of those climbs were, you know, were a good story and a half, two stories. You had to scamper up Jeez. just with arm strength. Yeah. Did any of you ever get hurt? Uh, not really. You know, I, I did. Uh, you know, the ribs uh, broken and things like that, but that was a fight. Uh, um in one of the episodes of the but no not like falling off the table hurt so we we were yeah we took care of ourselves and looked out after each other and and nobody ever really put us in any um you know yeah something that was obviously danger yeah yeah, well, we actually had uh, Stefan Armgrim and uh, Deanna Lund have actually been guests here on the show, too. Really, they're, they're both wonderful people. Deanna is a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a great, great show in that, uh, I mean, if you look back at, at those original shots, I mean, uh, the original people there, there was a beautiful cast in every way. And uh, they all had a great, great look. I mean, Matheson had a fantastic look, and Deanna looked just what you, and then they all did, you know, and then. And then uh, Kurt Kasner originally was, uh, unfortunately, he died uh, early on, not while doing the show, well after. But but it was a uh, very interesting cast, of, uh, looking cast. They all did. I look back, and I think for the pressure we're under and you know, hurry up and get it done thing, um, I think that we uh, were believable to this day. I look at it. I mean, that's really ultimately... An actor is a person who can make the words assigned to him sound like they're actually coming out of him at that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether it's Shakespearean words or or having to say, look out, here comes a giant. It's still the same challenge. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you still get people coming to your winery and, and looking at you and saying, you're Captain Steve Burton? <laughs> All the time. And, uh, and talk about the Internet. I mean, I have... I, I, you know, I have at least 100 or 200 people a day try to contact me uh, through whatever. But, um, yeah, when they come here, it's uh, it's really scary, especially because up in the taste room we had for a while, we actually had the on the TV screen the show playing, and then I have a picture there. And then and then I'll walk in, because, you know, this is a farm, and I'm, mm-hmm. I get up in the morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm real disheveled, and uh, maybe I walk outside, I'm real muddy, and I look like hell. <laughs> And then somebody will call me up there, and I, and I go up. I mean, really bad. And uh, and then risk you can be sure of. There'll be a nice little group, and they'll have a camera. Well, can you pose with us? <laughs> and I've got to the point where I say I'm just too vain for that right now. <laughs> because I had a couple of people take the picture, and they'll put it up on there. On there, you know, whatever you get to see it, and. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's the bottom line. Vain, <laughs> those horrible shots. <laughs> Jeez. So, were you a close cast? Uh, you know, did you hang out together, or was yeah, it basically? Yeah, we did. We did, and through and through the years, and unfortunately, Don recently died. Yes, sweet, sweet guy. And Deanna is absolutely wonderful, and, and Marshall, and and the uh, Betty who played Betty, uh, they, they were all just terrific. You know, we we really love each other, absolutely. You know. Yeah, it was it was a good show. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid watching the show, and you know, I mean, everybody had to watch Land of the Giants. It was just one of those shows. Yes. Yeah. But by the way, you know, talking about its international impact, one of the other reasons, and and I learned this much later when my mother and father visited 
during the Cold War, Hungary, one of those countries, and and they were there through a friend of a friend, and and, and, and of course they didn't know them. they knew my parents were Americans, but suddenly they're having dinner and everything stopped cold, and and they said and they, every the whole room, everybody rushed to the TV set and turned it on. My parents said, well, "What's going on? We have to watch Land of the Giants now." <laughs> and uh, and the later on, my mother never said, well, you know, she was so surprised as my son. And he said, why, why are you so interested? He said, because that is, the giant, they were relating the giants to the Soviets, so a totalitarian society, and they were the little people fighting hmm. the establishment and fighting the giants. And that and interesting. Yeah. They saw it, they saw the, um, the allegory aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> And you know, a, a lot of the, the 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 kids that were watching it just enjoyed the sci-fi part of it. <laughs> yeah, there, there was many things. Yeah, absolutely, many things. To, I mean, there was just a lot to enjoy. Right. It was, yeah. It was, in some ways, simplistic, but in other ways, it, it had these this double entendre that was picked up, uh, and the writers uh, would do that because it, it was based on Swift Gulliver's Travels, which was one of the great novels right. of all time. And it was great because uh, it was a uh, a Gulliver's Travels uh, also was that. It was talking about the same political uh, aspects, the little man against uh, the the ruling class and all this stuff. So it had that analogy. And and that was, you know, in in a way picked up like we, there was one episode called I mean, it was really, even to this day, that meaning uh, called the Little War, and about a kid who had uh, little war toys and began to conduct a war with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you, you could you could take that on and 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 use it as a as a symbolic uh, story, yeah, and meaning. Yeah, and one thing that never ceases to amaze me is. Uh, you were what two two seasons, correct? Yeah, we were sort of. It was odd. We were. Uh, we started out. We did the pilot. Then there was like this wait, and so we were involved in it really for three years of our lives. But it was the two seasons. But you know, in those days, they did a lot of episodes. Well, that's what I was going to just say. Is that you know now two seasons? You know, they might have yeah. maybe sixteen episodes sometimes, and you guys uh, did fifty something yeah. episodes. Uh, for us, yeah. We do. No, no. We did, like, I think 35 a year. We had, like, 60 or 70. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, that's incredible com- in comparison to what they do now with, you know, some... Absolutely. St- it was an hour show. And remember, uh, in order to do those particular effects, there were two crews working. So we had to do all the little guy stuff, and then we had to come back and do the big guy stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were working like... like like It was a fury to work, to work with that thing. And to be able to turn that out... Now the reason we were very, it was very popular the show oh yeah very high ratings or anything else and it was on to do the third season and probably would have done a bunch of seasons but what happened was it became so expensive remember in those days and even as actors you did when you did a, a, a series like that you did the first show then they would do the rerun and that was going to be the end of it maybe I don't know because they didn't have that many stations so maybe later on it would pop up somewhere all right. But it was there was not like 500 stations. It was in satellite all over the world, and of course American shows are always popular. So it, you, you didn't see any real you, you didn't see any real destiny to it. 
So anyway, they didn't either, ABC. So ABC said, hey, uh, we, we, uh, they wanted, uh, it was Fox, and, uh, and they said, you know, this is just really too expensive. We don't, they, they just were getting their money back. And so they said, we'll go on, but you, you just got to cut the budget down to Irwin Allen. And Irwin Allen had just gone through this, something similar, I think with Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, something like that, and mm-hmm. he felt that it ruined the series. And he said, unless I can have the budget, I, I'm not going to compromise. And so they had this standoff for a while. And then... Uh, the network, I guess, you know, finally said, hey, we just, we're just not going to pay for that. And Fox couldn't come up with the extra. And I think it actually embittered uh, Irwin Allen because it was a prize show for him. He loved that show. Yeah. He put a lot into it. And that's when he went off to do Poseidon Adventure other stuff. He said, you know, screw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez. That's too bad because I, I really enjoyed the show. i got to say that. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, Thanks to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gary, I'd like to finish up with two final questions here, uh, taking us away from your acting, your winery, and everything else that you've done. Um, when you sit back and relax, and I know with a winery, you're probably busy all 24 <laughs> hours a yeah. day, but uh, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past, and what are your favorite movies now and of the past? You know, I did a film not too long ago, Woman's Story, and it I'm hoping that we will get it out in a new way. I, I, I did a bunch of theatrical on it. And as an artist, it, it was a very, very visual film. And this is kind of a hard thing to, to explain correctly. But I don't watch television today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watch the news, and I'll watch uh, one or two of the news uh, stations that have news to kind of pick up on the news. But I... Um, I don't watch the drama uh, at all. It, 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 so, I've been in hundreds of shows. I've written 50, 60 scripts. I've done every story and every version you could think of. They're all really the same. Started with the Greeks. They're just oh, right. uh, reversions. <laughs> and the other thing that at this point, uh, as an artist primarily, I, I, I have to be really, I have to become really engaged and involved in a very visual way in a film. And, you know, films have really gotten away with that. Special effects films are not really visual in the sense I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. Beauty, some of the earlier French films, Italian films, I, I relish. And my all-time favorite films go way back, films like Bicycle Thief that had these these great stories and you felt a sense of place and people. And and and, and so th- th- they're, they're not... Um, those films just... Uh, if, there, if there's one or two will come by, I think, was it last year? I remember the Academy, and you'll get a film that you will see in the theater. I think it was maybe Quartet. It was about musicians and things. Mm-hmm. So films yes. like that I gravitate towards. Uh, I just got to have, um, I, when I'm going to sit there for two hours, I, there, I, I can't be entertained by spectacle or razzmatazz or uh, noise. You know, I, there's got to be. Uh, some something that that gets you know to the inner person and brings you, and so it, they're not made. And living out here, I can't get to the theater that much, and that's another duty I feel. I hate to see these things on television, even having you know directed and produced some films. All the work that goes in for that big screen, right. you're not anymore seeing it on that big screen. So, so I have a very complex relationship with television. Now, I am doing. On the other hand, I should say. I'll, I am doing hopefully a co-production with China on a on a reality show about winery and about 
one called the studio, which was, which is going into talking artists all over the world uh, in their studio, whether they be performing artists or architects or uh, composers or rock and roll people or whatever. And uh, so that intrigues me a bit to do because it uh, in the kit what I'm doing the reason I'm doing it is I see it as important culturally, interculturally, and I see I see uh, our relationship with China as being phenomenally important, and we're ignoring that and spend all our time in the Middle East and all our money. And so, I, so therefore, that that kind of intrigues me for the moment, and, and the challenge of of doing a reality show. Real, you know, most reality shows are pretty hopeless. You, you don't watch them, but they, but conceptually, the idea of trying to bring drama and interest and so on. Where you can't don't have the advantage of writing the script before it's a pretty good challenge. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, uh, so I'm very involved in that at this moment, and I'm hoping to be able to uh, start out at least one of them soon. So that would show in China. No, it would show all over the world. Oh, all over the world. United States. So it would be a co-production in the sense that um, I want to engage with. China. See, we're all engaged today with Europe and everything else in China. Now rules the world economically. I mean, it's just amazing. Right. Yeah. And when I've been to, I was in China, and culturally, it's just a phenomenon. And and the Americans are pretty ignorant of what's going on. We should know more about it. Their 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 creative side, their their interest in art and everything else, really dwarfs the United States. And yet, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that uh, really interrelates. Yeah, ultimately, when you do a TV show, it's not really for any. It's really for the world. I mean. Irwin Allen proved that. You do Land of the Giants, well, this is going to be for England or China. No, matter of fact, by the way, when I went to China and I spoke to the Beijing University, at the biggest event they have in the year, uh, 400 billionaires, that's a huge event. They showed the Land of the Giants on the biggest screen in the back. I mean, they even loved it there. Hmm, wow. Now, see. these were the captains, the biggest captains of Chinese industry. Sat in an audience, I was up there doing this speech, and they started out with this huge screen with the opening of Planet <laughs> I was like, where do I go from here? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's sort of, for me, very obvious. Uh, and I, I feel that, it was, you know, we've always been Euro-centered. I mean, how many millions of co-productions have there been with England and right. France and so on and so forth? And, and that's fine. Uh, but you know, um, Asia right now is a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I'm talking culturally. I'm talking culturally. When I went there, uh, you know, they brought uh, uh, again. I had a press conference and a bunch of stuff, events I did, and they brought over a, uh, a whole little exhibit of my paintings there when I was there. Now I don't know what you know what that cost would be putting a painting. And each one you have to put into a very, very um, careful box. I mean, it costs a lot of money. I mean, no, I mean, you can't, you won't even do that for the gallery here. And they brought them all the way over there. Hmm. Imagine that. Jeez, yeah, I can. Yeah, just to have there. Yeah. So you... uh, it, it's a, and and I can't even begin to tell you the artists there and the. In Beijing, the uh, the art area. I mean, the, you could put every single art area in the United States, and it, would, it wouldn't be as big as that place. Mm-hmm. Jeez. 
<laughs> well, Gary, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. This Are we is... over? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what does time go? Okay. I know it's going. <laughs> did I make any sense at all? Can oh we, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, can it's, we do this again now that you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> and I know what I'm going to say, and I can do it better? <laughs> you don't. You don't deal with that, though. No, I, believe me, this is going to be. This is great. not acting. This is real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. I can't get the. I can't get to do the scene all over again, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, I'll live with it. Well, Gary, I, I really do appreciate I know the residuals are going to be great, so that's why I put up with it. <laughs> By the way, they were not so great in Giants, right? Any of those shows. Ask any actor about that. If, uh, yeah. if there's one pain we all have in common, one deep pain, and that is, where the hell are the residuals? Right. <laughs> we would be billionaires today if they had set that up. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much. A big thank you going out to Gary Conway for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed that one. And if you're ever out in California, be sure to stop by his winery and check it out. And uh, also, I love that show, Land of the Giants. We've had a lot of people from that show on here at On Screen and Beyond. You can go back in our rerun section and check them out because uh, you'll get a lot of information. And it's uh, always fun to hear those great shows like that, those classic shows. All right. Well, it's been a very busy weeks here, the last couple of weeks, even though I've been on vacation. The the first week I was working, so uh, we're lining up some great guests, made some great contacts, and we've got some really good guests coming our way here at On Screen and Beyond, so keep listening. And if you have a suggestion, email it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And uh, I want to thank all the people who were listening all around the world, who uh, were listening, and while I was away, they seemed to have more more time to listen to the reruns because we just kind of get more and more people were downloading those and uh, we appreciate that and I hope you had some good interviews that you liked listening to because uh, there's such a fascinating people we've had here at On Screen and Beyond and it's funny now uh, a lot of people I've seen on TV shows that we've had before or in movies before they became really big stars, are now popping up on TV shows and movies, uh, and they're now now their careers are expanding. So uh, it's interesting to hear how they started. So, anyways, if you have a suggestion, email it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond dot com. I'll see what I can do about getting that person on. All right, so I guess that's about it for this week. That's a wrap. So until next week. When we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.